Hello, everybody, and welcome to Data Indoors March Tech Talk. I am Kirsten Burke, and as always, I'm joined by our security superhero, uh, CISO and CTO, Shaheen Peruz. Shaheen, welcome. Hello. Hello. So a little setup for today's Tech Talk. When Shaheen and I were talking about what our agenda would be today. And he said, I think we should talk about polymorphic malware. I have to admit, I had to take a self pause and going back to my putting words together when I heard polymorphic, the first thing I thought was, well, that's kind of like shape-shifting, right? And she said, it absolutely is. So those of you who, who heard shape-shifting was gonna be a part of this tech talk, we are not focusing on Harry Potter, Greek gods, or mythology, um, we are talking about malware. And um, interestingly enough, this whole area of polymorphic malware is not new. Um, it's something that originated back in 1989. But interestingly enough, we're starting right now to have clients approach us and say, hey, um, what does Data Endure do about this? Um, are you guys solving for this yet? So we thought it would be a great topic to talk about because as always, our adversaries are um, constantly changing, constantly morphing. And we really wanted to tackle this and thought it would be, um, be a valuable service you know, for those who listen. So Shaheen, I'm gonna turn this over to you, but um, tell us a little bit about maybe the origin and, and what's going on here with this particular type of malware. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, it's funny because you know it's as Kirsten and I were talking. She said it seems like what's old is always becoming new, and and it's true in this case as well. It's polymorphism is not a new concept. It's uh, it's something that in the security space and in the bad actor space, people have been toying with forever. And the whole idea behind polymorphism is an attempt to um, not get identified. So it's an attempt to hide your activities and behaviors so that standard tools can't catch you. And the best way to do that is to change how you look and basically go in disguise, be a shape shifter. Um, polymorphic so uh, software and malware in specific is not new. The first instances of it popped around 1990. Um, and the first pieces of code were basically working in the um, financial space. And what they were doing is they were attempting to hide their behavior by morphing to spoof online payments. And they morph their behaviors on how they smooth. So they look like they were doing standard operations. So it's it, the short answer to the question, are we ready? Are we monitoring for this? It's absolutely something we keep in mind uh, in terms of how we select our tools, how we identify the products that power our services we take to market. And yes, um, you know, knock on wood, we have selected tools that help to identify things like this. But there's, you know, there's a little bit of a buyer beware because not uh, EDR is your best bet for finding polymorphic software, as well as network-based monitoring tools and anomaly detection. But not, not all of those things are created equal just because they use the same acronyms for what they do. They use NTA or UEBA or EDR. There doesn't mean they're going to be able to identify polymorphism. So in the research that I did to even be able to talk the same language as you for, for this, um, <clears throat> it seems that kind of common to everything else with this next gen um, antivirus or endpoint detection that 
Um, obviously, this this polymorphic malware is not signature based, and the folks that talk about it say, "Well, you really can't rely on signature based tools. That you really have to be able to detect behavior. That although the the malware shifts, if you will, there is always common behavior." Um, or common things that that mal malware is going to try to do. So look for the behavior. Um, when you and I started talking about this, you said, yes, but. Um, so even there, uh, that's not necessarily um, the, Paul the Paul Harvey or the rest of the story, that there's a lot more to it than that. Um, what, what is that missing? So um, we, in several, maybe not several, maybe many tech talks ago, we talked about the evolution of endpoint security and endpoint um, uh, progression of tools, if you will. Um, starting with traditional antivirus solutions, which were signature and definition based and, you know, quickly realizing that it's really difficult when the signature databases and the definition databases are so big that it takes forever to update. And there's lots of gap time and it's hard to get those updates to all the endpoints that behavior was a way to go. So that was the first shift to behavioral monitoring. Um, the early players in the antivirus game, some of them made the shift to behavior, but they didn't create a behavior-based solution from the ground up. So they took the same thinking and the same thought processes that they were using to identify malicious activity in, in implemented behavior solutions that followed the same, which is they, they built behavior badly. And, and what I mean by that is, and, and by the way, this isn't just the early uh, folks, some of the um, straight to market is EDR solutions today also followed the same mindset, the same thought processes, the same experiential uh, wisdom uh, that the, the antivirus people did to create behavioral models that looked much more like definitions and playbooks rather than detecting a, a set of behaviors in whatever order they came in. The, the reason that's important is polymorphic software is not doing unique and new creative things. The, if you look at the MITRE attack matrix, while that attack matrix TTPs grow, it is still a finite set of TTPs that are found in the wild. Those are the tactics, techniques, and procedures that hackers use. How you put those together um, creates a kill chain, and that kill chain is what most, most behavioral models are looking for. The ones that do it poorly, and this is most of them, is the ones that expect it to happen in a specific order. Mm -hmm. Step one's going to happen, then step two's going to happen, then step three's going to happen, and now we know because the order was in this specific layout, this is this kind of attack, and this is what they're going after. But I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I have, have a very ADD mindset and I get distracted and I might do step three before I do step two and I might do step 10 before I get to step five. That mix up creates a problem for the majority of the EDR solutions in the market today. They don't know how to do jumbled behavioral analysis. They only know how to do pattern based in a specific pattern in a specific playbook behavior-based TTPs that follow MITRE specifically. So where you got to look at, uh, you know, it, you do need a solution that does behavioral analysis, whether it's user entity-based behavioral analysis, you need to be able to detect the individual tactics, techniques, and procedures and be able to identify that, okay, there's five or six of these tactics, techniques, and procedures that could go together to make an attack. 
we need to raise some alarms and bells. And, and that's what's missing. That's why it's you know, not all behavioral are created the same, just like we said, not all EDR or not all endpoint protection is created the same. Um, it's the behavioral analysis has to not be limited and restricted by it has to follow a pattern and most of them do because the people who created those companies came from the traditional antivirus companies, came from that experience and background and that software development past. They brought to the table those experiences and they said, we're going to do this different. We're going to focus on the behaviors rather than the, the stuff that's inside the files. And we're not going to do file-based. And that was a great leap in mm -hmm. endpoint security. But that same uh, playbook mindset still st stuck them in the past. And they're really no more than next-gen AV. They're not really doing EDR. So not only do we have the malware that's shape-shifting, we have the sequencing and patterns changing. So you kind of have these two um, dynamic things going on that organizations out there need to find a way to solve for. Yeah. And there, there's really only three protections against polymorphic attacks. Um, and none of them are focused on the endpoint detection. And I'm talking about protections now, not detections. Okay. So these are very difficult things to do. Most people don't have the wherewithal to do it unless you're a software company, for example. The, the, the number one way to defend against a polymorphic attack is a network-based protection, which is changing your IP addresses. So you're, if you're constantly changing the IP addresses of your hosts, you now have to have a DNS system that can help your users connect to those hosts easily and be able to continue to route traffic so it doesn't impact your business. So that mm -hmm. creates a lot of trailing automation that you have to develop and build. And dynamic DNS only covers that partially. So that's, that's, that's the first factor. The next layer level, and these are not in order of what's most effective. They're, these are just the ways to protect against it, is application-based. Um, or let's let's leave that one for last because there's more activity in that space today. Host-based is changing your host name, for example, or other identifying characteristics of the endpoint, like the MAC address or whatever, the, the hardware-specific information about that host and the software-specific information so that if a... Um, an adversary is inside your network and basically collecting information and trying to figure out where the crown jewels are. If the host name of your crown jewels change, it's difficult for them to reacquire it. Mm -hmm. The IP addresses changes, it's difficult for them to reacquire it. Now they have to go and do their reconnaissance again. So it creates more time for you to be able to identify them. So all these tactics are really around um, playing polymorphism on the defense, not just on the offense. The last approach is application-based, which is recompiling code and, and more likely what you see more in the market space. There's a lot of companies out there today that are actually changing memory locations of their executables randomly. So rather than recompiling, which is very difficult because you have to have the code know how to recompile itself, um, it is doing memory management rather than letting the, the standard memory management of the platform or the software development stack do what it does. They're, they're manually or explicitly managing memory allocation and memory usage so that they can move memory realistically throughout so that if a system is capturing memory chunks and trying to read data out of memory, 
uh, by system, I mean malicious system, then that memory location changes. They now have to go find where it is again, and they have to do that reconnaissance again. So it creates all of these tactics are all about defense um, and protecting against the, the solution. The, the behavioral analysis and uh, understanding of how, how to identify or detect uh, the malicious activity really is tied to behavioral models that um, are not linked to definitions or playbooks, but rather detect random behaviors that look like they could all go together to make an attack. So I am not running my own business, but I have heart palpitations for the people that are listening and trying to figure out what did he just say? And what do I need to do? Because I got to applications and I was kind of tracking with you. And then all of a sudden the wheels came off the bus. So as part of these tech talks, um, we don't want to bring you a challenge without giving you some practical applications for what you can do. And so let's quickly move over there before we have anyone go into cardiac arrest. And let's talk about... <laughs> How does an organization manage against this? Because it, it is um, not going away. Um, we understand that you know, these adversaries are constantly trying to find the most creative ways um, to get in and either encrypt your data, ransom your data. Um, and, and, and to your point, you know, this polymorphism is getting um, more and more intense. So what is an organization to do who doesn't have a hundred person security team, who doesn't have multi-million dollar budgets? How do you get your hands around this? The challenge um, is the last part of what you just said, not the budget, but the, but the team. Um, oftentimes uh, folks are looking for that, that one individual, especially in the mid-sized organizations, that one individual that could come in and make an impactful change from a security perspective. And, I could never do what I do if it was just me. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not possible. It's, it's impossible as a matter of fact. I've got an entire team behind me that all year round, we spend an awful lot of cycles doing uh, analysis of new technologies, new capabilities, research on what new attacks are in the world, monitoring of the advisories from NIST and other players out there to see what's going on in the in the global ecosystem of attacks and malware and malicious software and and vulnerabilities that have been identified and exposed and doing in parallel to all that as if that wasn't a full-time job we're also doing research and evaluation of technologies and in our stack there are about 20 different technologies so we're constantly looking at are they the best in their category and doing shootouts on those 20 platforms with new technologies that come out in market, new solutions that pop and trying to determine, have we made the best solution for our customers? And we design ourselves as an extension of our customer's team. So we take that to heart in that what we select and what we do has to work because we're protecting the security of all of our customers. And we're, we're identifying what our entire goal in life, we say it's all about time. Our entire goal is in life is taking the six month dwell time of a malicious actor inside somebody's network down to six minutes and putting time back on our customer side, putting time on the side of good as, as Brian Moody always says. And, um, 
and the intent, the way to do that is to do all the research I've talked about, to have people that are focused on monitoring the alerts and investigating those alerts, to be able to respond to an incident, to be able to jump in and change tools across the entire ecosystem because there's a new tool that's better and, and the TCO isn't making us stick with something that we've been stuck with forever. So we've built a model that brings all of that to a customer in a fractional ownership perspective. We, we don't resell our technology to the customer and manage it like most MSPs and MSSPs do. We include the licenses for the technology in our service offering. And what that does is it allows our customers to not worry about, I just spent X on this product, I can't change it. That becomes our problem. Mm-hmm. It also allows our customers not to worry about the constant turnover in the security talent pool. We, that's our problem. We, we are constantly recruiting and training and staffing analysts to be able to staff the security operation centers. We create the career progression from analyst to engineer to security account manager to pen tester to incident responder. All those paths are part of what become our problem and not the customer's problem. And the outcome for the customer is they're getting a solid team that is on the job 24 by seven, trying to give good the advantage. And, and that's, that's the answer to um, something like this. You're right. This is daunting. It's, you know, if, if I've, while I said polymorphism has been around for 30 years, I've been doing security for 25 years and it's never been easy. It's never been something that is, you know, I'll just get a couple tools and we're good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's never been one or two people in any organization I've worked with. It's been teams of people to make this happen and to make security happen uh, for internal and for customers. And for, for us, Data Endor, we're, we're not a huge company ourselves. And we would not be able to do security with for ourselves with one when one employee that was in security. We actually are customer zero for Data Endor. Every service we bring to market, we are the first customer that gets it and evaluates it and tests it before we take it to market. So the reason we can say confidently that our own security posture is solid is because we do the same thing for us that we would do for any customer. And, and by extension, we can say our services are solid because we have to have a solid security posture. So what I heard you say, the answer to the question of what do I do? I'm, a, I'm an organization out there that's looking to deal with this. Your answer is, Who you, gonna call? You, you, could, you could build it. You could try to hire the teams. You could try to do all of that, but why? Um, and, and certainly, uh, I've, I've described our team almost as a, um, a, a, a cyber CSI or a cyber strike team that, you know, in today's world, you almost need a team by your side who that's their job, that that's all they do that are really out there, you know, defending, helping defend and protect your business because it has become too challenging and, and to do it right, you're starting to pull resources and money away from your core business. Um, and that becomes harder and harder. Um, so, so I'm hearing you say, call us, uh, which, which obviously we would love. Um, is there something, Shaheen, that as, as an initial conversation, um, we've talked about health checks before, we've, we've talked about um, maybe risk assessments that we can kind of help an organization figure out where they are and what they need to do. How might that apply to this situation? 
Yeah. Um, so this this conversation, I want to slightly apologize to our listeners um, because we we are shifting into much more of a how do we help as opposed to traditionally we're trying to be the um, more of an advisory role in this context in our tech talks. But but I think there's a lot of things here that um, when you look at very complex attacks and complex security challenges, it does take a team to solve it, which is why we're addressing it the way we are today. Um, we do have a series, so we have multiple practices in our business, um, and our security and compliance practice goes far above and beyond just the managed security services that we take to market. So we do offer full risk assessments, um, which can be a fully complex risk assessment. We do offer um, compliance uh, readiness uh, so that if your regulatory concerns are out there, we have managed compliance services in addition to our MSSP offerings. Um, which all obviously tie in and circle back to how do you resolve some of the gaps and our services can help close those gaps. But the short answer to your question is we have a series of health checks that are complementary that are, um, let's call them mini assessments, um, really to help quickly identify and uproot gaps and areas of focus that, that a customer should pay attention to. We have, um, for those customers that are cloud-focused um, uh, and cloud-first, we have uh, the security and architectural uh, health checks that apply to the cloud that let you know, did we, did we set up our Amazon AWS or GCP correctly? Do we have our security set up properly there? What's our risk score associated with that? We have an external risk assessment, which gives you a score for your public-facing um, did I set up my DNS properly for MX records and um, all the all the little attributes you have to set for email? That is all that stuff set up properly. Um, all these things are designed to help identify what's going on. We also have an internal security um, uh, health check, which is intended around finding. Um, and all of these are really. Uh, synthetic attacks, their penetration testing, but small subset of, and vulnerability scanning. And they give you the visibility of what are my holes or gaps mm -hmm. that I need to pay attention to. And the outcome of it, obviously, you know, being self-serving as we are, is um, data under services will absolutely help close these gaps for you. Um, but you do get a small subset of those gaps as part of this complementary um, assessment to give you visibility into what's there. Um, we, uh, we don't, uh, the, for our paid assessments, we'll give you the full report, but you get your top 10 gaps and top 10 vulnerabilities in our health checks. Got it. Well, and, and you know, obviously part of this is self-serving because we, we, we do know our stuff. We do know how to help people address this, but, but part of it really is um, go back to this mission of, of giving time back to these organizations, giving them the upper hand against the adversary. And um, when you talk about the health checks, I know that they have been built so that they can be quickly de deployed. Um, our goal here is not to tie anybody up in a long-term project or assessment or whatever. We understand if you've come to us and said, hey, I'm concerned about this, um, time is probably of the essence for you. And so not only can these health checks happen quickly, but we have looked at all of our deployments, you know, all of the implementations for these services to, to make sure that they're as accelerated as they can be, again, to make sure that time is on your side. 
So, um, you know, I think as you talked about, you know, health checks and assessments and stuff like that, someone could listen to that and go, okay, I'm going to be tied up in this for, for forever. But, you know, that's absolutely not the case. We really these are, want- these are one, yeah, these are one to two week turnaround health checks um, right. and you get results quickly. And, uh, and our onboarding is even more impressive. I think many of the projects that we're talking about um, are between 30 and 90 days onboarding. So you can have a full sock up and running and monitoring your network in 30 days, or you can go to our ZTN offering, get create micro segmentation throughout your organization within 90 days. Mm-hmm. And it's, those are all projects that take years for an organization to do right. and get done right. Um, but we're not, we're not recreating the wheel each time. We've created a cookie cutter approach to the common things and then fine tune it for the customer's environment. Okay. Well, getting back to our, our topic today, um, which is shape-shifting malware, um, certainly with the capabilities we have and the assessments we have, this is something that we would invite anyone um, who joined us today saying either, first of all, I didn't even know that this was a thing and now I'm worried, or I, I do know that it's out there and I'm not quite sure we're appropriately set up for it. And um, we would invite you to reach out to us, um, visit our website, uh, even you know, just have a conversation with us. We would absolutely love to help. Um, we would love to help you make sure that your security posture is set up in such a way that you're not just defending, but you are on the on the um, offensive as well. Um, so with that, I know we're coming to end of time. Um, Shaheen, thank you again for joining us. Um, always, always interesting uh, things that we learn that we take away from these. And again, we invite anybody who might be interested in taking a next step, just reach out to us. And with that, we say thank you for joining and goodbye, and we will see you next month. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.